Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is uh, Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Yeah. Are you excited about this one? Uh, I'm going to try to be excited for everybody, enough for everybody, because I'll, I imagine like there's a lot, you know there's a lot of people out there who who don't listen to every single episode. Sure, I just I find that biting and weird because I, I I do that with my podcast though if I'm like if I'm listening to like if I look at Mark Marin so I listen to that one if it's a guest that I'm not super into I won't sure, listen. Sure, sure, right? That's other podcasts. <laughs> I'm talking about stuff you should know, man. Gotcha. You must be confused. Yes. I feel like every single one of them is worth listening to. Agreed. I suspect, though, that people are going to skip over this one. Well, I am going to take the rap because I picked this one out. I like it. But as I looked into it, I was like, you know what? I don't know how an aerosol can works. Exactly. And I would like to, and it's not super you know, no, complicated. It's not. And as a matter of fact, now that you read this and researched it, you understand how an aerosol can works. You can go to the hardware store. On a Saturday when you're bored, and yeah. just stand around and explain it to people and get like applause. <laughs> I could do that. Every anyone who listens to this episode will be able to do the same thing. Yeah, but I'd be at like Ace Hardware, and there'd be some 75 year old guy with a red vest next to me, like all pissed off. Yeah, they always have old timers working there. Yeah, well, they are um, big on keeping the economy going on the backs of aged baby boomers. <laughs> Isn't that their slogan? Yeah, and I think it's Ace is the place. Yeah. Well, you have for... to read between the lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chuck, have you ever seen a movie called Style Wars? It's a documentary from 1983. Uh, no, I haven't. It's pretty cool, man. It's it basically chronicles the the rise of graffiti. I was about to say hip hop, clothing, and stuff, and break dancing. Okay, just that whole culture. Yeah. And it's amazing the stuff that people were doing, like even back then, as far as graffiti goes, and breakdancing and hip hop and all that. Sure. But it's just like the seminal documentary that you just kind of have to see. It's just so cool. It's like it kind of makes you feel cool watching it. You know what I mean? Uh, well, I need that in my life. But the point, <laughs> what the reason I raised Style Wars is because the the graffiti that was being carried out uh-huh. would not have ever been able to be done had it not been. For a Norwegian engineer named Eric Rothheim, who in 1926 put in the first patent for an aerosol can in Norway. And then five years later, the first one in the U.S. Yeah, and they have a little photo of some of his initial drawings. And the author of this article points out that although it has evolved somewhat, it's he's, he was pretty right on with that first design. Right. You know? Almost out of the gate. Yeah. Because, as we said, it's kind of simple. It, the Yeah. One of them was simple to me. One of them I didn't quite understand. Well, okay. So, um, so Rothheim, he comes up with this, this patent, files it. Yeah. Kicks back and waits for the money to come rolling in, but it doesn't. It took many, many years, 15 or so, maybe a little less. Sure. Before anyone fully understood the value of an aerosol can. And it was, um, insecticides, bug bombs, cans of, um, insect spray. That was being used by soldiers in the Pacific in World War II when f- people finally said, oh, that is a good idea. Yeah, I wonder if, I mean, they had atomizers and things at the time. I wonder if that was his initial inspiration was to take that concept and jam it into a, a can, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Because that's what's going on. Yeah. You're atomizing a, a product. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of um, advantages to atomizing. Number one, if you spray something in a fine mist, it doesn't hit the ground as a bunch of liquid that seeps into the groundwater. It usually sticks to whatever you're spraying it to. Sure, and it's delightful if you wear perfume. Or have you ever, like, had the rose water sprayed on your face, like the face sprays? Oh, I thought you meant, like, an aerosol can of perfume. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Just atomizing in general. Yes, sure, sure. Um, it's I've very not, refreshing. I've, I've had an Avion spritz yeah. sprayed on my face. You mean I have before. It's very nice. Yeah, I've had, like, the rose water. Emily will spray me occasionally in the that face. That is very nice. It, does, it just feels good. Does she, like, hide behind a, around yeah. a corner and this... <laughs> psh, psh, psh. Yeah, no, that's the mace. Oh. <laughs> she maces me occasionally <laughs> for, for kicks. Um... So, yeah, there's advantages to atomizing things. Yeah. There's reasons. It's At the very least, it's lovely. It is. Um, and the, the whole premise behind this, though, the, the delivery method of an aerosol can, like we said, it's very basic. It's very old. And all you have to do is understand a little bit about fluid dynamics to, to get what's going on. So let's, let's, do, let's give a brief primer <laughs> on fluid dynamics, shall we? Yeah, and fluid... Period. Like, you know, fluid isn't necessarily liquid, like you might think. Right. It's an actual thing. Fluid is any kind of substance that has free-flowing particles. It's made up of that. And it could be something liquid. could be something gas. That's, it, those are both fluids. It just can't be a solid, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, as long as it's got those free-flowing particles. Um, these particles, uh, if it's a liquid, they're loosely bound, but they're still bound. Right. So it means it's going to have a fixed volume if it's a liquid. Yeah, which is why, like, when you put water into a glass, it doesn't just keep going and going and going. That'd be terrifying. No, it, it would make it, it would have a gaseous um, characteristic then. That's right. Because gas does expand to fill the volume that you put it in. That's right. And, well, spoiler alert, that's what happens with gas. It expands. <laughs> uh, if you heat liquid, um, applying energy to it, basically, it's going to vibrate and it's going to break those forces and they're not going to be bound together anymore, then you're going to have a gas, and that's called boiling. Yeah, and, I mean, we think of boiling as, like, applying enough heat that you will burn your skin. Right. But boiling points vary for different types of fluids. Yeah. Um, so any volatile fluid is a fluid that um, boils or f- turns from a liquid state to a gaseous state. That's boiling. Yeah. Um, at room temperature, right? Yeah, which that that's the part I had uh, a hard time getting my head around because I associate boiling with, like, heat and hot. Yeah, because you think of boiling, you think of water. Yeah, exactly. And it takes a, a, a certain amount of temperature, of heat, of heat energy, to break those intermolecular bonds, to turn water from a liquid into a gas. That's right. But it takes less for alcohol or for propane or yeah. whatever you want to use, right? Sure. And so, lastly, there's another fluid dynamic trait that we have to have down, and then we'll have all of the stuff in place to understand an aerosol can. Uh, expansion of gas? Yeah. So yeah. so we said that when you put gas into something, it expands to fill the volume. Yeah, and gas will decrease in pressure as it expands, which is why like a tiny little CO2 cartridge is like got tons of pressure in there, and that's why it can shoot your awesome uh, industrial arts model car down the track. Right, because... Did you ever do that? No. Really? I I had a Pinewood Derby racer once. Uh, what's that like? A the, the car you sit in? No, that's the Cub Scout car. Oh, okay. It didn't have any CO two though. You'd be immediately disqualified. 
Yeah, in high school, we, we made the little cars that have the CO2 cartridge in the back. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And we raced each other and nice. stuff. My brother won county, of course. Yeah. And then... And then flashed this winning <laughs> smile. And three years later, it's so funny, I forgot all about this. I tried to copy his car design when I took the class. Yeah. And mine was not nearly as, like, it just wasn't quite right. <laughs> and I didn't win county. I didn't even win my classroom. <laughs> Somehow the um, the the compressed air decompressing into the atmosphere made like a sad trombone sound. This is so cool, and that really kind of just sums it all up with my brother and I. Yeah, he was always really great at stuff, and I always tried to do that, and was not nearly as good at it. You're good at other things. Though. Well, I'm yeah, I can run my mouth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if that's how you want to put it. Anyway, I... so that's compressed gas, and when gas is compressed, it can you know do some great things like shoot the car or in this case spray paint or something right right exactly okay so you have compressed gas yep you have all these fluid dynamics and you had everyone now right yes okay so all an aerosol can is is all of these principles kind of put into a very simply mechanically functioning state right yeah so you have a can and you have two two things in there you have the propellant Mm mm-hmm uh, which is the stuff you use to force the other thing, the product, out. Yeah, and it could be hairspray, uh, bug spray, could be paint. Cooking oil. Could be that foamy stuff. You ever use that? The uh, stuff to like seal, like insulation or sure. Yeah, or like fix the flat, all that, all that. It has myriad, myriad uses. Okay, right. So um, you've got the product in liquid state. Yes. Uh, Say so it's just kind of floating in the bottom of the can. You put, uh, sure. You put it in the can. Yeah. Seal it. Yep. You, so it's there's there's no air going in. It's airtight. Yeah. This is part one. There's two two ways to do this. This is the first one. Right. This is the simple way. Yeah. And then you add some sort of compressed air to it. Call it air. Compressed air. Okay. Okay. So you have this um the propellant in there, and it's it's basically filling up as much of it as it can until it's reaching the top of the can, the sides of the can, and the top of the water. Yeah, and it pushes all the product down to the bottom. Right. Which is one reason you got to shake it shake it up. Exactly. Yeah. So you have a tube going down from the, the nozzle at the top of the can. Yeah, the valve system. All the way down to the bottom of the can mm-hmm. where the liquid is, right? Yeah. And that, li- that valve has a seal so, that's being pushed up by a spring. So uh-huh. the head, the nozzle... When it's when it's not being pushed, it's sealed tight. But when you push it down, a channel opens. It goes below the seal. Yeah. And you now have the outside atmosphere, which is at a much lower pressure than inside the can. Yes. Um, opened up to the inside of the can at that much higher pressure. And it drives it up the tube, out the little tiny, tiny hole, which atomizes it. And that's basically the simpler method of the aerosol can. Yeah, the air pushes the liquid down and then up the tube, yeah. Because it's like, I want to get out too. Exactly. It expands. Done. I mean, that's pretty easy. Yeah. So the second way that this can happen, and I didn't know this was the more common way, but it is, uh, they use liquefied gas. So uh, that is the propellant. You've still got the same product, right. and the product is is sitting there at room temperature just fine as a liquid, so they just pour that in. Then they seal it up, and then the same way with the other way, they pump in this liquefied gas, and it mixes, though, this time, right? Or does it press it down? This is where I got a little confused. So a liquefied gas, you said, is um, it's a gas that 
goes into a liquid state under a certain amount of pressure, right? Yeah. Okay, so under high pressure. Yeah. So it does mix because okay. it's all liquid in there once it gets in there. The okay. whole thing turns liquid. And you keep that pressure up so it doesn't have any room to expand, so it's just in there mixed together? Exactly. Okay. And then when you press the nozzle down and you break the seal, as it were, um, the you form a, a channel with the outside air and the inside air. That change in pressure converts some of that propellant into gas, and it does the same thing as that standard can. The gas presses down, forces the liquid up, but some of that propellant is still in liquid form mixed with the product, and as it goes out, it evaporates. Right. It turns into gas, and it also kind of um, it, it turns that liquid product into a finer mist. Yeah, but what I don't get is is that it actually boils in the liquid gas system. It's like once you relieve that pressure, it starts to boil, and that's what does it. That's yeah. what I was a little confused about. Yeah, I have a feeling that this is um, a different part of fluid dynamics. Okay. That it's not necessarily the boiling point, although it could be, because I don't think any average gas turns into a liquid under under all under pressure. Right. There's just certain kinds that do, I think. Okay. So I think. What's your question? <laughs> well, it's actually boiling in the second in the, in the liquid gas type of aerosol. Can. At the very least, it's converting into a gaseous state because of the release of pressure. Okay, right. All right. And why do the cans sometimes get cold? Did you figure that out? No. Okay. <laughs> Boy, there's some there's some uh, people in chemistry lab right now that are just like, oh my god. I know you guys. I thought we had this one, man. I think we ha- we do. I had it. In- I could have done a tap dance doing this earlier. And now it's like, <laughs> but wait, let me complicate it a little more. No, I think it. I think the message got through. Um, if in the case of paint, sometimes you need a little help mixing these things together. So that's why a paint can, a spray paint can, will have the little metal ball bearing on the inside. Right. Because you actually do want to mix the propellant and the product together in a liquefied can, liquefied gas can. Yeah. Right? Because it helps atomize it, as you said, and that's very pleasant. Exactly. Um, what about the rounded bottom of the spray can? You know why that's that way? I do. If it was flat, it's so pressurized, it could be a bad scene. It could actually go the other way. And... Everyone knows, if you studied architecture, that a dome is more structurally sound right. than just a flat uh, surface. So that's basically the same concept at play. So that's one reason. Um, it's to protect the integrity of the can. Yeah. And the second one is is so you can help get all of the product out. Because if it was flat, it's like when you're down at the bottom of your of your soda cup with your straw, mm-hmm. and you're making that terrible little noise, and you're tilting the cup and trying to stick the straw in the little corner where it meets the edge. This does it for you. If it's a rounded bottom, it just puts all the product there at the edge, and that's where the little tube is, right. and so you're all set. Nice. Yeah. And did you know there's about 19 billion steel and aluminum cans that include aerosols and other products uh-huh. that are recycled every year, and that's equal to enough to build 20 Golden Gate Bridges? Really? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so we mentioned there's a variety of different products that you can have that you're trying to uh, get out of your can, from foam to, like, whipped cream to uh, bug spray, stuff like that, hairspray. Although, does anyone still use aerosol hairspray? Uh, I think some people do. It's the Aquanet, out there. is it? Yeah. Okay. Remember, do you remember the Bizarre Ways to Die episode, the deodorant boy who used so oh, much yeah. aerosol deodorant that he died? I totally. Man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so the way they accomplish this, though, with a different product um, is you, you can have a variety of consistencies. And what they do is they just play with um, 
the ratio of propellant to product, maybe. Maybe the chemical makeup of the propellant and the product have to be just right. Maybe the pressure of the propellant has to be a little different, depending on what kind of product you're working with. And then um, the size and shape of the valve system, like in the case of a fix-a-flat that you put in your tire, right. it's not the same as you know a spray can. It's not atomizing. It's got like the tube hooked up and... It's, uh, if you've ever sprayed that stuff in your house, like to fill a crack, like a whole can of it, it's amazing how much stuff is packed in there. Yeah. Like when it gets out, you're just like, wow. It's like the clown car of the industrial engineering scene. <laughs> honk, honk. Um, do you want to know a little bit about CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to look into this, but I'm glad you did. So prior to the late 20s, uh-huh. there was... People were using ammonia in refrigerators and dying from ammonia leaks, and it was just a bad scene. Wow. And so everybody said, well, we've got to figure out some sort of toxic, non-toxic chemical that we can use as a refrigerant. And a General Motors engineer, of all people, came up with what DuPont later turned into Freon. Right. A chlorofluorocarbon. Right. Which supposedly was non-toxic. <laughs> it was, It basically changed everything. Yeah. Um, it, it it was much less harm, harmful compared to like ammonia. Um, it allowed us to make cheap refrigerators, uh, car AC, yeah, AC window units, like all those things came from the advent of chlorofluorocarbons, right? Yeah, and it was also very ubiquitous as a propellant in aerosol can sprays. Sure. Okay. Well, I think that's why everyone, you know, quit using Aquanet. Right, because everybody was going psh, yeah. and just spraying these things, and they were going up in the atmosphere, and everyone was like, look at them go. It's cool. They're like, you know, inert, non-toxic chemicals right. going up in the atmosphere. But we're all getting cancer. The problem is when a CFC enters the atmosphere and gets high enough and it's exposed to UV radiation, yeah. it breaks down and into its constituent components, one of which is chlorine. Chlorine wreaks havoc on the ozone layer. Uh, One atom of chlorine can destroy about 100,000 ozone molecules. And we need those molecules. The ozone layer protects us from UVB rays from the sun, which are the kind that give you skin cancer and destroy crops. Right. So in 1974, some scientists realized that CFCs were doing this in the ozone layer and it was going to be big trouble. 74, huh? Uh Uh-huh. And then in the 80s, we figured out that, uh uh-oh, there's a hole in the ozone layer over the Arctic. Right. So... uh, a bunch of countries, I think uh, 70, signed on to basically outlaw CFC production. In the 80s? Yeah, and then later on, another like 120, I think, signed uh, another treaty. So it's very, very difficult to find CFCs these days, but they're still around. Are they? Yeah, they still use them in some um, nasal sprays, hmm. um, and they're also used in Halon, which is a fire extinguisher for airplanes. Did they not still use Freon? No, I don't believe so. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's basically like we did away with those. It's going to take a while to repair, but they found that the ozone layer is no longer growing. The hole in the ozone layer is no oh, longer good. growing. It's just holding steady and hopefully so, patching itself back up. They just forced people to go out and be innovative and find different ways to do these things. Exactly. And if you compare your aerosol can propellant today to one that had CFCs before, you're not going to notice the least bit difference. So that can of Aquanet that looks exactly the same as it did in 1957 is no longer dangerous. Not to the ozone layer. Right. It is to spiders, though, if you have a lighter. (laughs) Yeah. Don't ever do that, kids. No. Uh, That's it for aerosol cans, unless you have, like, another 10 minutes on it. Uh, No, that's all I got. I mean, what else is there? (laughs) I, I genuinely looked, and there is nothing else. Yeah. Go out and do some graffiti.
That's what I say. Um, that's Art, artful, Chuck. artful graffiti, though. Don't yeah. go around tagging stuff. You should probably practice at home first. I hate that just stupid yeah. stuff. Like, get, get, educate yourself on different types of nozzles. Like, practice. Don't do. Don't be a punk. Agreed. Be an artiste. Uh, if you want to learn more about aerosols, or at the very least want to see the article where we told you everything there is to know about aerosols, you can type that word, A-E-R-O-S-O-L-S, into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And that will bring it up. And I said search bar, which means it's time for a message break. And now it's time for listener mail. I thought you might say that. Okay, Josh, listener mail time. Um, I'm going to call this uh, Police Sketch. Eyewitness stuff. Good stuff. This is from Terry Bennett. Um, Hey, guys. uh, Listened to the Police Sketch episode and wanted to share my story was robbed when I was a teller of a bank in 1977. And at that time, bank robbery was a federal crime, probably still is. I was immediately taken into the back room of the vault, and the FBI was called in. When they arrived, a sketch artist brought a large binder, not full of women, but full of pictures, <laughs> faces, and eyes and noses and mouths, etc. Uh, transparencies of face shapes were the base, and the rest of the face was built on the base, uh, one eye and nose at a time. Um, I was not allowed to talk to anyone, including the staff of my bank, until I talked to the FBI. I was instructed to write everything I could remember about the robber and the robbery before talking to anybody else. In those days, of course, we did not have digital cameras, and the film had to be sent out for processing. Um, I love it in those days. I mean, like, it was the same, like, seven or eight years ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, when did digital come around? The early 2000s, okay. it seems like it became... I guess it's more than seven or eight years old. I know. We're Uh, getting old, man. (laughs) So uh, the pictures took a couple of days to get back, and my composite drawing was posted in the paper, and my robber was actually caught a couple of days afterward at a methadone clinic in town. Uh, When the (laughs) film was developed, the side-by-side pictures were incredibly close. So she did a pretty good job, sounds like. Nice. Uh, By the way, he was caught using my composite and not the true picture. Huh. Uh, we That's were, pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. We were trained to observe all these details and also to watch for the six-foot mark as the robber left the building, like you talked about. They called it. stores. Yeah. Um, guess they have those at banks. Luckily, even though I was only 20 years old, the training had taken a hold and gave me great resources to catch this guy. And to this day, I always observe shady or odd things in everyday life, including license plates like you talked about. And by the way, my robber had robbed eight other banks up and down the coast in California, and I got to be a hero for a minute. Wow. And that is Terry Bennett, and that's a cool story. Yeah, that's very cool, Terry. Um, thanks for sharing. I bet she just eyeballs everybody. Right, yeah. She's that like weird lady now. She sticks out <laughs> methadone clinics. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> just getting with methadone. <laughs> uh, if you want to give us a story, we love our stories, um, you can tweet a very, very, very short story to us at SYSK Podcast. That's our Twitter handle. You can uh, post one on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send in an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can't really tell us a story, but you can hang out with us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Audible.com.